Coming up today on the Lead to Succeed podcast. I really do believe, and I don't say this to be discouraging, I really do believe that life is hard. Life is full of tragedies, challenges, heartaches. It's also filled with blessings and good people and opportunities, right? It's a mixture of both. We're never promised that this time on this earth is, is gonna be smooth and easy. Do you want to learn the tricks that top leaders use to get the most out of themselves and their teams? Well, Naftali Hoff is here to help lead to succeed. Picks the brains of top leaders to learn about their challenges, insights, and best practices. Here's Naftali. Hello, Lead to Succeed Nation. It's Naftali Hoff, and welcome to Lead to Succeed, episode 99. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Johnny Serpilla. Johnny, founder of Encourage LLC, is an entrepreneur, passionate leader, and the author of Life is Hard, But I'll Be Okay, The Power of Hope, Emerging Through Pain, and Learning to Live with Gratitude. A legend in the RV industry, Johnny endured personal tragedies that led him to repurpose himself in his early 50s, focus on driving meaningful change in the workplace, allowing employees to return home empowered. Johnny's an active public speaker and promoter of reshaping thoughts through difficult times to accept, grow, and eventually thrive. He's an active board member of, in both the public and private sector and serves on the exclusive board for the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Johnny, I'm so glad that you are on the show today. Thank you for joining me. Naftali, thank you for having me. It's really my pleasure. And that bio, you know, probably each segment, I think there were three of them, I probably could spend the entire time talking about any one of them in greater detail. Um, but I am kind of interested in something, you know, it actually came up yesterday in my mastermind group about this whole idea of purpose and passion and how much a person needs to sort of be uh, purpose-driven or passionate about their work uh, or not. And it's a conversation we probably could have. But when I see that you have a background working in RVs and camping, which is something that excites me, although unfortunately, don't do nearly enough of either of those. I guess my question to you is sort of just getting us started, getting us to, to help know you better. Was that a follow your passion kind of thing? Um, is it something where you just like, oh, I got to do this because it's really cool and I love it and you were doing it as a kid? Or did you fall into it in a different way? It was definitely not a follow my passion. It was okay. a follow my uh, responsibility. So I was born into the industry. My dad was one of the pioneers in the industry in the 1950s. And so in the late 80s, after undergraduate uh, school and then spending some time working in Chicago, I got the phone call that it was time to come home uh, and take over the family business. So mm. I did that in my early 20s. And I grew up in the industry. I worked in the uh, dealership my entire life and uh, truly loved the industry because what it does is it keeps our families together. RVs mm. keep families together and I'm all about family. Yeah. <clears throat> But I'm not an RVer. I never was an RVer, and my family uh, was not RVers. But we loved the industry and what it did for other families. That's really cool. You know, it's it's kind of interesting. And again, I don't want to politicize our conversation, but I, I will say that um, just just based on my own background, my religious values, uh, the family traditions, and things like that, uh, I think certain core traditional values are under tremendous pressure today. And uh, I think the family unit is one of them. And I was actually just having a conversation with somebody this morning, somebody out in the UK, 
we were talking about the transactional nature, this is my terminology, the transactional nature of relationships, whether it's with a spouse, whether it's with a business partner, whether it's with a client, you know, oftentimes we're just, you know, what have you done for me lately? And uh, there's so much out there. So it's sort of kind of like gives us these ideas. Oh, maybe I want some of this. And this looks a little bit better than what I have and shiny toy syndrome and whatnot. But the idea of doing something that you know is going to reinforce something that is so important and really at the center of our society, uh, which is the family unit, I think is really cool. It, it is. It is. Uh, I found really great meaning in that work. And again, you know, I, I have to say young people today talk a lot about being passionate about their work. I do a lot of talking at universities and I hear that that some professors are really promoting that. And of course, I would never say don't enjoy what you do, do and don't. Uh, you know, push away from passions that you have, of course, explore those, but there's also passions that you can have outside of work. And then there's meaning that you have in work that you can be fulfilling something for others. And I think that could be a passion, right? And it yeah, might not be sure. the product, right? Might not be the product or the widget, um, but it is the lifestyle. And that's what I loved about it. And so for me, um, getting our team to understand, and I sold my family business uh, to Camping World back in 2003. And then I was an executive at Camping World uh, until I retired. You know, for me, it was the opportunity to show people that when they came to work, and they are in the leisure industry for others, you're serving others. And there, you have to kind of have that servant leadership part, you got to want to make a difference, because they're entrusting their, their recreation time, their family time, their two weeks a year of vacation, whatever that might be in our hands. And that's an awesome responsibility to have in a big one. And so we took it seriously. And I uh, really enjoyed my time in there, that industry for 30 years, but then realized when I hit 50, I was old enough to make my own career choice. Fair enough. Yeah. And as a former educator, what you're talking about with purpose and, and mission is, is something that resonates very deeply, but you don't necessarily have to do something which is a conventional or standard, what we might call service industry, like my coaching work or my past work in, in education to be that, like you described, Johnny, the, the very fact that you made somebody else's recreation time more meaningful, the family time more meaningful. It actually reminds me of something I heard about John Deere many years ago, that they would take executives or maybe even others from within the company, bring them out to the fields to see the impact of the work that their tractors and their, and their farming equipment was, was having on, on regular farmers, right, regular people. And so the more I think that you can translate what you do, whether you're a lawyer or a coach or a, you know, a, a, a you know, owner of a dealership or a salesperson or whatever it is that you do, when you think about not only am I making profit for myself, but I'm making a positive impact on others and kind of keeping that front and center because we're all going to have these lousy days, right? We're all going to have bad days that set us back and whatnot. But when you keep that mission and the impact of what you're doing in front of you at all times, you know, it could be very, very motivating. That's right. You know, when you're working in the service industry, you know, and you're dealing with complaints all day long, that's tough to show up to work in the service department, whether it's a car dealership, RV dealership, any service business, those are tough jobs. So I'd always talk to my team about recognizing the fact that what they're doing is solving problems for others so that they can go out, be recharged, re-energized to make an impact in this world. And when you repurpose that you're just not repairing a vehicle, uh, that you are creating opportunities, when you repurpose that in your mind, it gives a, 
a motivation shift so that you can say, yeah, I can make a career out of this. And, and so many, and many people have, and we're thankful for that. Yeah. And so you, you call it right. And re, repurposing, reframing, right. A lot of it is, is the, is the intention, right. And the intention. And, and, and as an Orthodox Jew, I think about this a lot because if, if you believe, for example, that you're here in this world for a purpose. So everything you do, even the most mundane can potentially tap into that. So I actually want to talk about this idea of purpose a little bit more and specifically as it relates to, you know, Oftentimes, um, corporate executives, I know today it's different because of COVID and because of the fact that so many people are now working from home and have a different type of workday and whatnot and environment. But for very, very long, certainly, you know, lots of folks were surrounded by the concrete jungle uh, of, their, of their tall steel buildings. And, and so it was very much focused on doing the work and seeing the world was a secondary consideration for a lot of people. So I know you said you weren't an RVer by, by, by nature, let's call it, but what argument would you make for people that they should be getting out there more um, to take the time to not only just be with family, but be outdoors, the self-care piece? What are your thoughts um, as far as helping busy, successful people have more, I guess you'd say balance, have more of the alternative elements to their life to see all that the world has to offer? I love that question. It's pretty deep there. And, and, and for me, when you, when you say balance and you think work, everyone thinks work-life balance. I'm probably not a huge believer in work-life balance because I think that it's just all life, right? We, it is one life that we have and we take our mind and our heart and we enter that into our work life and we en enter with that same mind and heart into our personal life. So I'm a big believer in ensuring that we really know and take that self-reflection time to understand who we are and where our heart is and the impact that we can make on others. And we do that consistently in our work life as well as in our home life. Because, you know, I think about the, the workday and, and, and the energy that you put forth there. If it is one of intensity and anger and you're beating down your team and you are disrespecting customers or you're just not genuine, I think it's hard to shift out of that mindset and go home and being a loving, committed father or husband or wife or grandmother, grandfather, whatever your real purpose is in life, right? And so I think that you take that same mind and heart with you into both spaces. And for me, I find that in nature all of us, I mean, whether it's the beach, whether it's, you know, out um, in the woods or, or wherever you are, I think nature really reminds us of, in many ways for me, of the smallness that we can be in this huge world, and also the way that we fit into this huge world, and that we're one of many. And when we recognize that we're one of many, uh, that we have an influence on others, we take that seriously, hopefully, and we really reflect on our actions. So I'm a big believer in that self-reflection and whatever space that you can do that in, meditating, prayer, nature, go deep. I love it. Okay. So um, I want to get to a couple of other things, and we definitely have to talk more about your book. But before we get there, in the bio, I read about how uh, you know, you're, you're very into, so to speak, reshaping people's thoughts, right? Because oftentimes the thoughts that we have, in fact, I would say all the time, our thoughts really drive you know, how we show up in the world, how we act day to day. I actually did a LinkedIn post this morning on the topic of waking up and just, you know, sometimes I guess when, when you bring some kind of negativity with you to sleep, 
you know, you kind of wake up with it and it sort of owns you. And I had to, number one, get out of bed because I have a workout routine I do before prayer. But number two, just, just to let my day to, to, to serve my purpose, whether it's having this conversation with you on a podcast, I'll be on another podcast later, talking to clients, all the stuff I do, I can't bring that negative energy, those negative thoughts with me if I want to serve. So I'm curious to know what are the thoughts that you encounter that people have that are not serving them? And what is your process by which to change that thought process for the better? So, so first, to, to align with what you said just a moment ago about waking up and going to sleep. For me, it is critical uh, because I'm an active thinker and a medical diagnosis of that is I have anxiety. Mm. I am a warrior. I worry about everything um, too much. And it's a daily struggle for me, but it's a daily tool that I use uh, to make the right decisions. But for me as an active thinker, what I need to do every single night when I hit my my head on the pillow is I need to set my intentions for my night's rest. I need to thoughtfully tell myself that this is going to be a time to relax, be thankful for the day, be thankful for what happened in that day, good or bad, so that I can learn from it, so that I can set intentions for my brain to rest, for my subconscious to be reset, so I can wake up refreshed. I find, Naftali, that my most anxious time of the day is first thing in the morning. Hmm. And it's definitely a path that I can point to to say, last night, I didn't set my intentions. Mm -hmm. This morning, I woke up very anxious. Mm -hmm. Last night, I did not set my intentions. And so when I don't practice what I preach, um, I feel the consequences of it. And so for me, the idea of reframing thoughts is so important. And I write about this in the book, life is hard, but I'll be okay, because I really do believe, and I don't say this to be discouraging, I really do believe that life is hard. Life is full of tragedies, challenges, heartaches. It's also filled with blessings and good people and opportunities, right? It's a mixture of both. We're never promised that this time on this earth is, is going to be smooth and easy. Right. And so accepting that and knowing that, we can move forward by saying, look, I realize what just happened. And in my life, the tragedy that did happen, I had to reframe. Uh, and my wife and I had to reframe because it was too dark to live with the death of our children. And so we had to look at this in a very, very different light to say, we need to spend less, less time at the cemetery in grief. And we need to spend that time in gratitude. And once we were able to do that, we were able to start seeing the the blue clouds, the blue skies again, right? And not so cloudy out there. And we were able to free our minds in a way that relieved us from the, the thoughts of negativity that we are trapped in. Hmm, interesting. Um, and so let me ask you, so obviously we want everybody to read our books, um, but who specifically should be reading your book? In other words, who, who is the ideal person that would benefit the most from a message that you have to share in the book? I would say anybody who is experiencing life to be hard and anyone who provides wisdom and hope for the journey for that person. Okay. So hopefully we're going to, we're going to link it up in the show notes. Everybody, uh, I would encourage you. I mean, I, I think you already see what kind of person Johnny is. So definitely we want to go deeper there. Um, but before we, before we pivot, I do have a few other questions I'd like to 
sort of go deeper with. And, um, you know, you talked earlier about the idea of, you know, doing your dad's work, so to speak, or the family work for a bunch of years, a few decades even, before you transitioned to your current line of work. What was that, besides for this idea of, let's say, going out on your own, if that's even the right term here, what else was at the core of making that decision? You know, obviously, career changes are very common nowadays, much more common than they used to be. Uh, it's not likely that most people will stay with their employer, their initial employer for their entire career, usually multiple transitions throughout their, throughout their career, unless they own their own business. And even then, so what was it for you? Um, and maybe what was it about what was going on for you at that time that said that you said to yourself and maybe with your wife together, this is where I need to be now. So for us, it was, <clears throat> excuse me, a, an amazing 30-year career in the RV industry. We had our IPO at Camping World on my 50th birthday, and I recognized um, that there was a time in my life that the stage that I was in that I could define for me what is enough, certainly financially. And I don't have to be bound by what I have traditionally done or lured by um, wonderful compensation and stock and all those things that go with it uh, for the future that I could look at the stage of my life that I'm at and say, I think my time is done in doing this. And there's a belief that I have in stages of life and new chapters. And I felt turning 50 was that new chapter for me. And so I was going to let go of the responsibility that I had for an industry that was chosen for me and an industry that was very, very good to me and that I love and I still love today. And I serve on a public company board that uh, inside that industry and, and honored to do so. But it was time to say, what else do I want to accomplish? Call it, if you will, in the second half of my life. Mm. And I felt that it was really going to be my purpose decade. Um, I, you know, our, our children were raised. Uh, we were, you know, our marriage, 31 years, all good. I mean, all these things are good. And now I really want to dive into new purposes. And, and that was investing in companies, created a, a small family office where I invest in companies. I serve on boards um, and really look to drive meaningful change at work and at home. And again, to me, there's always that connection, as I talked earlier about, it's just life. So work and home to me really become one. Right. Wow. And as somebody who's myself approaching that, uh, that, 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 life, that life milestone of 50, uh, I've been giving a lot of thought to what life would look like on the other side and how I can get there in a manner that is, uh, I guess, best for, you know, for myself and for everybody that I serve. So there's a lot of power there. I do want to talk a little bit about boards because you did mention it just now and it's actually on my, my question list, if you will, of things I'd like to discuss. Why should people join boards, whether it's for-profit, non-for-profit, obviously they're different. Some of them offer opportunity for, for, fin for financial uh, benefit and whatnot, if it's a, if it's a corporation or for-profit business. But besides for that, what are the benefits for the individuals who want to consider being on a board who haven't done so yet? First of all, I think you need to determine if you're board ready. And, and you know, thinking about board ready, to me, is where your heart is. If you want to come in as a critic, um, I don't think that's an effective board member. Anybody can be certainly a Monday morning quarterback. Boards are in a great position to do that. We can look at results uh, reactively and then 
chime in and, and opine on those. Um, and, and so to me, board work is not about criticism. And I think some people approach it with that spirit. Um, I, I understand it from two levels. One is knowing what it's like to serve a board and want to prepare well for a board and to you know, present the company in the best position so the board can give their best executive direction and all the effort that it takes for that. And then as well, I've been on the other side on, on countless boards, um, knowing how that we could impact negatively or positively that leadership team. And so to me, a board member that is really committed to serving, and that I re really wanna stress that word serving because it's just not about going in and collecting the nice check or um, the recognition for being on a prestigious board. It's really serving with that servant heart to say, what can I do to take my experiences and take that and flip it and to really understand what this company really does. Many times a board member can take what they've done and want to universally apply that to the company. And they're not always applicable, their past experiences. Yep. They're relatable many times, very relatable, but necessarily not applicable. And so getting under the hood of that company and really understand what that culture is, where are the deficiencies in the culture, what makes this company unique? How does the customer receive the, the company? And really understanding the customer experience. You take all of that together. And if you're ready to do that and check your ego at the door, especially if you join a board that it might not be in your industry, mm. you know, you're going to be joining a group of people that the employees at many levels know a lot more about that industry than you do. Yeah, right. you're a board member, right? And so yeah. for me, it is really making sure my mind is right that I'm seeking to understand um, the organization that I'm serving, the leaders that I'm serving, and then putting my best foot forward to make a difference. Wow, that was pretty powerful. You know, it's interesting on many levels because I'm um, a former head of school. So working with a board, it was certainly something that I'm very much um, aware of. And different board members, I think, brought, brought different attitudes and mindsets to the conversation. There was no check involved, that for sure. Right. Um, but the idea, nonetheless, of being a servant leader is really so important, especially because in corporate boards in particular, but even nonprofit boards, most of the people who are asked to join a board are people who have achieved something meaningful you know, in life. And so for them to check their ego at the door and say, this is not about me. This is not about how I can wield power. This is not how I can make change because I think change is important. But I'm here to work with the leadership team. Obviously, if the leadership team is not functioning effectively to figure out what the problem is to the best of my ability, but for the most part, to provide service to them and, and not the other way around. I think that board readiness element that you shared is really very powerful. So um, I, I guess everybody who, who is interested in joining a board, there's a lot of potential there. Certainly do your own research, but have the mindset that Johnny was talking about, I think, um, is an important piece of doing that well and doing it for a long time and making positive, positive contribution. So let's, let's kind of like go back to, you know, you talked about your book a little bit before, and maybe this question will tie into it as well. And so my last question, question, excuse me, for this segment, Johnny, and that is something that I mentioned to you in the pre-recording. I ask all of my guests, it's really important to me, for me to hear, not because it only makes me feel a little bit better when other people talk about their biggest mistakes, since I talk about mine quite often, um, but it makes leaders more relatable and also makes the idea of leadership more accessible to people when they recognize 
that people with great success weren't necessarily born that way. They weren't necessarily, you know, sort of made in a different type of mold that's unique to them. And I could never replicate that because that's not me. We all have setbacks. We all have challenges. We're all human beings. What was your greatest challenge in, in terms of um, mistakes, right? What was the biggest thing that you would say, oh, I wish I never would have done that, that you did ultimately take that lesson, learn something meaningful from it and utilize it in your career moving forward? Oh, Naftali, to nail it down to one, um, I've made so many mistakes. Um, but I'll tell you something that really hits me when I think, when I have that self-reflection is I think that I regret the times that I was not fully present where I was. You know, I was there physically, my body was there, and my mind wasn't there. Mm. And that applies in work and out of work. Vacation time that I still worked too much um, and wasn't fully present. And <clears throat> because I took fatherhood so seriously, I wouldn't miss time with my kids you know, especially when they were young, or even if we were traveling, I wouldn't miss an excursion or activity for work. Um, and I wouldn't be on my phone uh, for work. But I'm thinking even some later, some of the rest time later at night, you know, the downtime that I could have been, you know, reflecting a little bit more recharging, and I was still pounding away at emails. So I think, again, for me, being fully present, it's something I work on a lot today. Um, because I'm involved in about 20 different companies, um, that presence to, to be in this conversation with you right now and pushing yeah. out any other thought that comes in of what I'm doing after this call, the next company meeting that I have to get to, the board meeting, putting all that out and really being right here. And I think, I think I'm getting better at it. Mm. Um, and, and because um, I, I beat myself up on that. Uh, quite a bit um, over the years as I look back. And, you know, I say, Johnny, when is it going to be a time when you're not going to look back with that same regret? When have you had enough yeah. of that so that you can discipline and change? So I would say if I have to pick one, I'm going to say that. I appreciate that. And I would tell you that, you know, society, from a societal standpoint, <clears throat> I think it's getting harder than ever. You know, our phones in particular make it extremely difficult. And of course, all the social media where their job is to interrupt, right? That's how they make their money. They interrupt us all the time with, with, with little pings and whatnot. So unless we're super disciplined and don't think we don't, I want to say, I'm not preaching to you, but I'm just saying in general, my own thoughts, we shouldn't think as parents that our kids don't notice or that our others who love us aren't recognizing that we're sort of splitting our time or splitting our attention or our focus between what is right in front of us and them. And so being very mindful is critical. I absolutely need it as well. Uh, so thank you for bringing that, uh, that issue. It's not your issue, it's not my issue, it's our issue because it's ever present and I think it's only gonna get worse. So um, we have to just sort of recognize that in the context of the world in which we live, how could we be as present as possible? And how could we look back and say that we did everything within our realm of control to give our connections, because those are the things that matter most, right? We're not going to remember most of the other things, or they're not going to have long-standing long value, but the connections with family and the issues uh, that are most near and dear, that's where we want to be putting our attention. Uh, so thank you for that, Johnny. And I want to ask you now to sort of transition with me into a rapid fire mode. Uh, in this context, the answers are short, not no opportunity for elaboration, but I would love to begin by asking you, 
Um, the worst mispronunciation of your last name? Serpia. Okay. Well, that sounds Italian. No, I, it is Italian. I'm full-blooded Italian. So rapid uh, okay. fire is going to be just hard as heck for me. But you know what? I'm going to change my answer. It's not Serpia because I get that. It's Seripola. Nice. At least I didn't go there with that one. Okay. A book that you gift, uh, that you read or gift often. Anything John, <laughs> that's right. Anything John Maxwell. And if I have to pick one, developing the leader within you. Love it. Okay. John Maxwell is king. If you could share a message with the entire world, it would be. Don't believe everything that you think. Lastly, a productivity tip that helps you get more done. Focus to evolve. Find that company, focustoevolve.com. He teaches brain science on how to be more productive using Outlook. Love it. Okay. So how can people connect with you? We'll obviously have it all in the show notes, but how can people connect with you, find out more about what you're up to nowadays? And of course, get a, get a copy of your book. So my website is encourage33.com. So again, the word encourage, it's just something that it's biblical for me um, from Thessalonians, actually. So encourage one another and lift each other up just as in fact you are doing. And when I heard that, I thought, you know, when I was praying on that verse, I thought, I do like to encourage people and I think I am encouraging. And so that's the name of my company. So five okay. years I've had encourage. Um, on Instagram, I'm at Johnny Serpilla. Of course, I'm on LinkedIn and um, my book is on really anywhere online books are sold, Amazon, uh, Barnes and Nobles, all those kind of places. Uh, we have the ebook is out, the paper book is out and soon to come is the audiobook. Mm, okay, that's the one thing I did not do and I have lots of regret there, but hopefully can still get that done. In the meantime, Johnny, leave us please with one final life lesson. So for me, I think that uh, what I've really learned and I talk about in the book is that post-traumatic growth is an opportunity that we need to embrace and dive deep into, Niftali. We all get the concept of PTSD, post-traumatic stress syndrome. We all get that. It, we hear that. We identify with it uh, some more than others. But there's the flip side to that, and that's the post-traumatic growth. And I believe that through all our experiences in life, knowing that life will be hard, and it is hard, I'm a believer that we can come out of a situation and not have tragedy or darkness around it, but look for the light in it. And in my life, and especially what I write about is as significant as the, the death of our triplets uh, 27 years ago, is that there's so much beauty in that experience. And it was a very dark time and I, I can never deny that, but I can't also change the fact of when they passed. So when that happened, um, we were left with the idea that our reality was difficult, was dark. And I couldn't, leave, I couldn't stay there. I couldn't live in that moment only. And so for us, it became, where was the beauty in it? And my relationship with my wife was strengthened. Uh, my heart was changed to prepare me for fatherhood later. Um, it prepared me to be the business executive that I was and am because I'm more empathetic. 
um, I have a better understanding of human experience. And so um, in the book, we talk a lot about the benefits that Nicholas, Mary, and Peter had even worldwide. And so I'm, I'm thankful for the blessing of their short lives and, um, and found gratitude. Well, what a powerful way to end this, this episode. Johnny, it's really been a pleasure. Uh, I've learned a tremendous amount from you just in our few minutes together. I certainly look forward to getting to know you better and uh, to continue to observe the, the positive impact you're making on the world uh, on so many different levels. So thank you again for being a guest on Lead to Succeed. And um, you should continue to have that impact for many years to come, help change people's thoughts and give them that positivity and that optimism that you so uh, poignantly just shared with all of us. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much for listening to this episode and for investing in yourself so that you can lead to succeed. Before you go, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review the show. Your feedback gives the show more social proof and encourages more folks to listen. 